Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. Today we're going to launch into a new focus, uh, a bit of a journey that I'd love for us to go on together. Where we're going to dig into this idea of the Kingdom of God and what it means for Jesus to teach His disciples to pray and say, this is how you should pray. Uh, God's Kingdom come and His will be done. There's an account in Matthew 6, just to set the scene where Jesus' disciples, I imagine knew how to pray, have been brought up in a culture where prayer is a normal part of their world, where they've, they've seen it from the earliest age up until that age. And yet they see something on the life of Jesus, the Son of God, God in flesh, that compels them to come to Jesus and say, teach us. Teach us, teach us how, like, like whatever we've been doing before, however we've been engaging with God before is a shade compared to what you are living out. Teach us how. And so Jesus teaches them how with an approach to prayer that I don't believe we have to take word for word and say, this is literally what you must say to pray. But the approach to prayer was one where it starts with, gosh, I remember this because it's the first thing I learnt when I went to Sunday school. When I was seven years old, I'd only ever been to Sunday school once in my entire life. I did not grow up in the church. It was hilarious. My dad was a scientific atheist. He taught me that God is a stupid idea, literally. But it was so funny that we'd be at um, hanging out with family who were Christians. My uncle and his wife were a Christian at the time. And I remember that they were uh, about to say grace at the table. I don't know if you give thanks for food. And I didn't know what grace was. I'd never seen it, never heard about it in my entire life. I didn't know people prayed before they ate food. I just ate food. It was there. And I remember picking up the drumstick to eat and Dad slapped my hand and said, don't grab it, you'll get struck by lightning. <laughs> and so I remember that week, somehow connected with their church, we ended up in Sunday church for the first time. And man, I was just, I was crudding myself thinking, is God gonna strike me with lightning? <laughs> I, I had no idea what this was about. And I remember though, that the lesson was based around this prayer that's captured in Matthew 6. And it starts off with this. Jesus says, Our Father who art in heaven. See, this is how it stuck in my head. It was old King James. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that set the scene for when I met Jesus for myself, that the idea is that we can approach God as our Father, not just Jesus' Father, not as somebody else's father, not as Regan's father, not as our worship leader, Linda's father, although we, we share the same father, our father. And he's in heaven, but he's as close as our breath. Right in heaven, hallowed be your name. Give honour. He's worthy of honour. I, I think when we live life in light of the fact that we are created to worship and we get to choose what we worship, the greatest thing that we could possibly ever worship is the Creator of all things. When we worship Him for ourselves, hallowed be Thy name, Thy kingdom, here we go, Thy kingdom come. Of all the things Jesus could teach them to pray, He says, pray this, God's kingdom come and His will be done. The kingdom is a big deal. Over the next couple of weeks, I wanna zero in as a church and I want us to journey through what does it mean 
to have God's kingdom come in our life and through our lives? What difference does it make to be part of this thing that seems so important to the ministry and life of Jesus that He would even teach people to approach God with this one thing in mind, pray it in, live it in, see it in, the kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a portion of Scripture starts off before Jesus is teaching His disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says this, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the Kingdom of Heaven is at hand. From that time. If you've ever read the book of Matthew, Matthew is written by somebody who is trying to convey the fact to his readers that Jesus is the ultimate King that everybody has been waiting for. That we are built to live our life following something and somebody and Jesus is the perfect picture of that. And so Matthew's very concerned in setting up the scene so that we can all understand that everything that we need is found in this one King, Jesus. And we get to choose to follow Him or not. In the Gospel of Matthew, it begins with an account of the genealogy where Jesus came from by His birth and His natural birth to prove the fact that He comes from the stock of kings, that He is somebody who, if you were just looking at the natural order of things, is He of the right blood? Is he, is he, does He qualify? Jesus does qualify. But He qualifies for more than human reasons. He qualifies because of who He is and what He came to do. That He is God in flesh dwelling amongst us. And the Gospel of Matthew propels us into the ministry of Jesus. And we find that He begins His ministry when He's around 30 years old. He started His public ministry. He's been living it up at home and now it's time to get public with everything. And the Gospel of Matthew sets up the scene before we get to at that time where people have been preparing the way of Jesus and there's a man called John who's baptising people in the Jordan River for the repentance of sin and Jesus rocks up to that scene and He allows John to baptise him in the water, which was ridiculous because what John was doing was to prepare people for Jesus by getting their hearts ready for the idea that they need to change. And Jesus comes to John and John calls out the fact that Jesus, you don't need to change. You're perfect. But because God in flesh came to dwell amongst us, Jesus came to identify with us. And He goes through the waters of baptism, not because of His sin, but because He is here to save us from our sin. And as He goes down into the water and He comes back up, says the dove, the Holy Spirit comes and lands on Him. He is the anointed one, the empowered one, the one who is here to make all that was wrong right again. And a voice from heaven speaks, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now God is happy with Jesus before He does anything. The idea is that you've been invited into a kingdom where God is very happy with you before you've done anything. The invitation is that He is proud of you, that He is ready and willing to respond to you out of His love and His grace. And so in that, Jesus identifies with us in our sin, but He has no sin. And what happens then in the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus says He is led out by the Spirit into the wilderness. Before He starts preaching and teaching, He goes out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and He fasts 
No food, no water. I don't recommend it. Don't do it today, unless God tells you. And even then, I'm gonna ask you twice if you've heard right. And send an ambulance to keep tabs of you. And he's out there. Why is he out there? Because it says that the devil comes and tests him three times. Three times with the same tests that wrecked Adam and Eve in the garden. And Jesus faces it head on. You know that word, the devil? It's not a name, it's a role. It means the accuser. The devil is accusing constantly people before God. They're not good enough. They're not good enough. They don't measure up. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't. And Jesus takes the accusations head on. And for every accusation that comes to Him, hey, Jesus, you're hungry. Surely God doesn't want you to be hungry. He wants your your happiness to be the centre of all things in life. So why don't you pick up this stone and, and turn it into bread? Because you are more important than anything. And Jesus hijacks that narrative by saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Slap in the face. He responds by going above the accusations and straight into the presence of His Father. This is how Jesus is prepared. He faces it all because He had to face it. It says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. He understands. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. We follow a special type of king that prepared the way for us. And in Matthew 4.17, he begins his public ministry by saying, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everything was set up because He identifies with us. Everything was set up because He came to enable us. Everything was set up because He came to stand alongside us, but not just stand, but to propel us forward into who we were created to be. It says that He came to preach. I don't know what you think of when you hear that word, I remember a season of life when Rihanna and I were living abroad in Southeast Asia. And I remember seeing a man who spoke a different language to the nation that we were in, grab a voice box and walk up and down the street preaching. And nobody understood what he was saying because he was preaching in a complete different language. He was, from what I understand, he was proclaiming Jesus in a way that nobody got. And I understood enough of the language to hear people say that this makes no sense. See, the idea that Jesus came to preach, to preach means a proclamation of transformation and sovereignty. It is meant to be understood. It's meant to be engaged. It's meant to be received. It's not meant to just be news that's playing in the background. 
I, I don't know about you. Have you ever put YouTube on in the background and just have it scroll and scroll and scroll? And man, some of those commercials are getting so bad on there. Scroll and scroll and scroll. The proclamation, the preaching is not meant to be that. It is meant to be engaging to the hearts of its listeners. It's a declaration of a deep-seated truth. And Jesus had one message. He was always talking about the Kingdom of Heaven. Everything that He spoke about boiled down to this one message. It's like whenever we jump in the car together and we've got the kids in the back, we have this game where they get to pick whatever song that they want and the kids get to choose until Rian and I get too frustrated and we turn it off. And you always know that they're picking the same songs. So it helps having three children at times because you know that the same song is coming, but at least it gets broken up with another two. Jesus had one message, one message that He unpacked, the most important message of all, all, the Kingdom of Heaven is at hand. And you think, what is this thing? This thing that is so important that Jesus would lay aside everything to come and identify with us. What is the Kingdom? It goes on to say in the book of Daniel about the end times, about the establishment of this Kingdom. It says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, In the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a Kingdom that will never be destroyed. And this Kingdom will not be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. Jesus came to establish a kingdom that has no end, a kingdom that is invitational and available for all to enter in, a kingdom that supersedes anything that you've been a part of, a kingdom that doesn't come from here, but is invading here. A kingdom that is inviting us up into being who we were created to be and called to be. A kingdom that at its core is one that's built on repentance. I don't know if you're too familiar with that word repentance. It's it's a word that implies at its core, deep-seated change. Whenever I see that word in Scripture, I see hope. I see an invitation. Jesus came preaching this one message and the one way into receiving this message is this idea of repentance. What is repentance? Repentance means to turn and go the other way, but specifically it means to turn from going away from God. A life that is taking us away, one step, one choice, one decision at a time and moving towards a life that leads us straight into the presence of God. It says in the book of Revelation that Jesus stands at the door and knocks and whoever hears Him and invites Him in, He will come and sit with you and sup with you. The opportunity to be with Jesus actually stands on our end. Everything's been made available, everything's been prepared, but yet the ones who open the door is us ourselves. And repentance is a decision. It's a moment of decision. It's a lifestyle of decisions that says, I was going this way. I got caught up this way. I lost my way and I'm pulling the handbrake on the highway. I'm going down the wrong way and I'm speeding and I didn't even realise it. And it's dangerous for me and those around me. So I'm pulling the handbrake. I'm chucking a Vin Diesel. I'm getting a a helicopter and grabbing it by my hands and I'm twisting around and I'm gunning it the other way. Because there is a way and the invitation stands. 
But to what? Why? Why would we turn around and go the other way? What difference does it make? Goes on to say elsewhere in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, chapter 14, verse 17, the Apostle Paul is talking about how people are equating the Kingdom of God to something so low as to their eating habits and dietary requirements and rules and regulations. And he says this, for the Kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We've been invited into a Kingdom of righteousness. What does righteousness mean? It means to be in right standing with God. According to Thayer's Dictionary, it means a state of one who is as he ought to be. I'll say that again. According to Thayer's Dictionary, the state of one who is as he ought to be, the condition acceptable to God of integrity, virtue, purity of life, alignment of thinking, feeling and acting in step with God. Imagine living a righteous lifestyle where everything about you is in alignment with the One who created you. Imagine the flow that comes with that. The authority to life. You get to rule and reign in life with Jesus instead of life ruling and reigning over us. The Kingdom of God is righteousness. You are invited through Jesus into right relationship. And all it takes is a response Do I say yes? It's righteousness, it's peace. Peace means a state of being that lacks nothing and has no fear of being troubled. I talk about this often. The idea of human peace means a cessation of hostilities. We think of peace as where there's been a battle and all of a sudden, The battle stops, but it doesn't mean that anything is necessarily solved. See, our understanding of peace is to keep the peace and just to shut things down. But God's idea of peace is something very different than that. It's it's everything as it should be in the will of God. It comes from this Hebrew word called shalom. Have you ever heard that said? People greet sometimes people with the word shalom. I dare you to bring that out in random conversation. It means everything as it should be in the will of God. What does peace actually mean? It means the reigning of the Kingdom of God in our lives and through our lives. It means the peace of God is available. Why settle for such a low level peace? Where we're ignoring things, where we're trying to brush things under the carpet, where we're we're hoping that things don't come back to bite us. Well, that's not peace, that's, that's ignorance. The peace of God is actually confrontational. It's bringing things to bear under the will of God, but it begins in our heart. See, it's about us individually. Everything about the Kingdom of God is about you. It's about you and your response. You are called to live right with God because He invites you in, but you are called to live at peace with Him. Everything as it should be in the will of God. Imagine living a life so in flow with God's will that His favour and His grace set up a path in front of your steps. The Kingdom of God is righteousness, is peace and it's joy. Man, we need to get some joy up in here. See, joy is actually something completely different to happiness. Nothing wrong with happiness, but happiness is so dependent upon circumstances going right. 
I mean, have you ever had a birthday cake and has a cake revealed to you and then realised as everybody's singing you happy birthday that you hate that type of cake? <laughs> and as they're singing this song that says happy birthday, you're just thinking in your heart, they're going to give me the biggest piece to start with and I hate it. I can't wait to spit it out and throw it in the bin when nobody's looking. Why doesn't anybody ask me what cake I actually like? See, happiness is so dependent upon circumstances being just right. It's like climate control. Have you ever seen that with certain gardens that you have to get things just perfect for something to thrive? Well, joy supersedes that. It's this idea that no matter what the circumstance is, you can draw upon a strength through the Kingdom of God and your relationship with Jesus that you can have joy in the midst of great hardship. Because remember, this Kingdom is not of this world. It's not dependent upon this world setting it up and making it right. It's dependent on allowing heaven to come to earth in us. It starts within. Joy at its core means a calm delight, not dependent upon circumstances. The Kingdom of God matters. Righteousness, living in step with God. Peace, living according to His will and purposes. Joy, living above the circumstances that surround us and distract us and take us away from who we're born to be. The Kingdom of God matters. You are called for a greater Kingdom. You are called for something so much more. Called to supersede the pressure around you. And this was Jesus' message. Goes on in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. He's preaching this message. He's, he's, he's setting up the scene. He's inviting people in. And as he's declaring this message, the Kingdom of God is at hand. He goes for a walk. In verse 18, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. These brothers appear on the scene all throughout things, Simon, which was his name originally, actually had his name changed by Jesus. Not at this point, it happens later on. But the writer Matthew is just reminding us that this guy, Simon, started out a certain way and because of following Jesus, he was changed to another way. So that's the good news of the Kingdom for me is that change is possible. At the heart, that's what repentance actually is. Change is possible but it happens only through righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit through relationship with the living God. Simon is a name, if you would give you the meaning, if you were to unlock the original Hebrew meaning, it means a reed. I don't know if you've seen a reed, if you've seen rivers where you've got these, these reeds that sort of grow on the side and they look nice, but the deal is that whenever a wind hits, they just flat straight away. Reeds just react to the world around them and they'll, they'll stand up straight if there's no wind, but if there's a blowing gust, they'll just bend straight down. Simon was just like that. He was somebody who responded to the world around him and adjusted himself to be whatever the circumstance meant he had to be. He wasn't living the authentic kingdom lifestyle until Jesus saved him 
And he went on a journey of transformation and Jesus changes His name to Peter. Takes him from a reed bent by the world around him to Peter, a rock. Unmovable, not unmovable in the sense that he's unchangeable. No, unmovable by the pressures of the world around him. Unmovable because his conviction of faith in who Jesus is. Unmovable in a world filled with pressure. Simon was changed to Peter. Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. I always thought that was strange. Here they are, they're at work, they're they're tending their nets, they're repairing, they're getting ready for, sorry, they're they're repairing their nets after going fishing overnight. So they're doing what everybody should do. They're they're cleaning up their room after they've been asleep. They're they're doing the right thing. They're, They're setting themselves up for success. And the moment they encounter Jesus, He gives them an invitation. That word follow me literally means come, come now. And they leave their world behind. And that's just shocking. And I always used to think, is it because there was just something about Jesus that made people leave everything behind? Now I think there was, but the truth is in that culture at that time, you would grow up as a Jewish boy, going to synagogue every Sunday, memorising the Scriptures, practising things, understanding religious law, And at around 12 years old, all the travelling rabbis, all the religious leaders might drop past your community and meet with all the kids who qualify around 12 years old in the synagogue. And they would line them up and they would test them. How good did they know the Torah, the Scriptures? How good were they able to recite things? How good were they able to ask questions? How smart and quick they were. And the rabbis would come along and test and test and test and test. And the ones who were the best, the rabbi would say, come, follow me. See, when a rabbi said that to somebody, it was such an honour to the entire family because it meant that they had somebody who was actually good enough. Somebody who was good enough to break free of the mundane, the day to day and go off and live a life of service to God. They were good enough. And it meant that If you were tending the nets at that age, it meant that you stood up in that line at some point and you were deemed not good enough. So when a rabbi said to you, follow me, here's what he said, this is what he meant. Walk with me and come and be just like me. The invitation to journey with a rabbi, a teacher, a leader at that time was an invitation to say, everything that I know I'm going to give you, everything that I am, you can be leapfrog from my life. Why wouldn't you leave everything to do that? But Peter and Andrew weren't good enough for that. They hadn't been chosen. They'd had to find a gig. They'd had to get a job. Macca's wasn't open. They became fishermen. And along comes Jesus preaching the Kingdom of God. And He says, follow me. You know what He's saying? Come and be just like me. 
When we choose to follow Jesus for ourselves, here's what we're choosing to respond to. We get to choose to respond to the fact that Jesus says everything that He, he-, that he is, He wants to give us. Everything that He has, He wants to download into our life. We get to be like the one that we follow in the midst of all our imperfection, in the midst of all our brokenness. They immediately left their nets and followed Him. Going on from there, He saw two other brothers, James and the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And He called them and immediately they left the boat and their father. Catcher, and they followed him. Matthew 4.23 goes on to say, And Jesus went around all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. If I could ask the worship team to come and join. Here in Matthew 4.23, we get to see what I think is the job description of Jesus. He went around teaching in their synagogues. He went around preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom of God. And He went around healing all of those who were oppressed. And here's the thing I wanna submit to your church as we choose to focus in on this thing called the Kingdom of God and what difference it makes in our lives that Jesus is still wanting to do the exact same things in our lives today. The work of Jesus has not stopped and He wants to work in us and then through us. See, He would teach in the synagogues in a region of the world called Galilee. And Galilee was the backwater parts. It was the the parts of the world that people would not travel to. It was the parts that you pass through while you're going somewhere else. And yet Jesus chooses to travel around the parts that others ignored. And He would go into every town and He would go into their synagogues. And so the synagogues were these things that represented the heartbeat of the community. It was a place where people would gather together to pray and learn about the things of God. And the synagogues represented the beating heart of life of the community around them. Why would Jesus go and teach there? Because here's the truth, the Kingdom of God moves from the inside out. It starts in the heart and then it goes out through us. Jesus had to go to the synagogues to teach. What was He teaching? He was teaching the truth. He wasn't teaching my truth. He wasn't teaching their truth. He was teaching His truth because Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And when you embrace the truth, when you, when you learn the truth, when you're open to the truth, when you, when you approach Jesus and you say, I'm teachable. When you have a heart towards God that says, I'm not coming to you expecting you to change. I'm coming to you expecting me to change. I will be the one teachable here. As He teaches for the Word of God, as He teaches through the life we get to live with Him, what He does is the Kingdom of God changes us from the inside out. We become who we were created to be. And it starts a Jesus revolution in every aspect. He came teaching in the synagogues and He came preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom of God. To be a preacher in that time, there was another word that they would use, it was a herald. See, in that culture, they would have people that would travel around from town to town. 
as heralds, they would come declaring the news of the empire of Rome or the news that was happening in the world around them. You weren't able to scroll it on Twitter or whatever that is now or Instagram. You, you had to be dependent on people coming in and sharing it with you. And often they would only share with you the most important things. And so a herald had to live the message. So you had to live the message, had to be the message. They would go from town to town, not just with it memorised, but with it oozing out of them because they had to convey it with everything that they had. And Jesus going around preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom was the living, breathing embodiment of the Kingdom of God on earth today. And when you and I choose to follow Him for ourselves, as we choose to live the journey, He changes us along the way. I love the fact that Peter and Simon says that they, sorry, Peter and Andrew, it says that they left their nets behind. Why did they leave their nets behind? They no longer needed the tools of entanglement. They no longer needed the things that would tie them up. They could lay it aside because the teaching was beginning to penetrate their hearts and the Kingdom was changing them from the inside out. And when Jesus said to follow me, He said, come and be just like me. They became living embodiments of the message of Jesus. They became preachers of the good news. Do you are a preacher of the good news if you're a follower of Jesus? You may not have a microphone, but you have a life. And your life is a picture of who Jesus is and what He's working in and through you. The Kingdom of God has come. It is righteousness, it is peace, it is joy. And it doesn't stop there. See, see here's the deal. When, when Jesus went around teaching in the synagogues, He's teaching people how to leave all their nets behind, all the entanglements, all the traps of life. He's teaching people how to embrace freedom. You know, the first step here, to the Kingdom of God as you respond to Jesus is allow Him to set you free. In John chapter 8, it says, those the Son sets free are free indeed. But we have to allow Him to do it. We have to allow Him to do that work in us. So as He does it in us, it comes out of us. Leave the nets behind, leave the entanglements, leave the traps, lay them aside and walk on. Because it flows out of you. And then as you choose to follow Jesus, as you have been following Jesus, as you continue to follow Jesus for yourself, you are transformed to be a living, breathing messenger of His goodness because what's happened in you can happen in others. In Matthew 10, 8, it's Jesus says to His followers, freely you've received, now freely give. Everything that you get, you're meant to give. You're not meant to store it up. You're not meant to push it back. You're not meant to close yourself off. You're meant to be somebody who's engaging in the way that you are designed to be. Take what you have and live it. Embrace freedom, live the journey. And He goes on to say, to finish the thought, healing all kinds, all kinds of what? Of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Why? Because you take what's done in you and you take what you're living and now you reach beyond. Embrace freedom, live the journey and reach beyond. 
Take what you have and see the difference that it makes in the lives of those around you, of the lives that God sets up along the way. What's in you is meant to spill out of you. The Kingdom of God is at hand. The difference is now. He's still doing this work today and He's doing it through you as we choose to respond. And let me finish with this. Matthew 4, 24 says this, Then His fame went throughout all of Syria and they brought to Him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed. That is a thing. Epileptics and paraplegics or paralytics. And He healed them. Great multitudes followed Him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and beyond the Jordan. Final thought. It says, Then His fame went out. In Habakkuk 3.2, it says this, Lord, I've heard of Your fame. I stand in awe of Your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. You know what makes somebody famous? It's how we respond to them. That's it. What makes somebody famous is how people respond. I remember once, as Vienna and I were leaving the city of Phnom Penh, we were lined up to board our plane. We were with a team of young people that we'd taken from our youth ministry to spend two weeks in Cambodia. Been sleeping on the floors, living off rice. Had a great time. Nobody died. As we're lined up to board the plane to go from Phnom Penh to Singapore, there, from me to the front row away, was Wolverine himself, Hugh Jackman, standing there with the biggest arms I've ever seen on a human being. I remember tapping Rhiannon on the shoulder because I was the first one to notice. Tap, 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 tap. And I said, Rhiannon, Hugh Jackman. And Hugh Jackman turned around, looked me in the eyes and said, yes, yes, I am. (laughs) And he turned his back to me. We got off in Singapore. I'm going to blame the youth for this, not the fact that I was a fan of Wolverine. But the youth started following him around the airport and a crowd started to form. And I happened to ask him, hey, Hugh Jackman, can we get a photo? He said, yes, if you stop bugging me. (laughs) And so there's a photo of us with Hugh Jackman. It was actually a nice guy. I don't know him at all. What makes him different? Just how people respond. He's just a human being. Whether you think he's a good actor or not, whether you replay the Wolverine movies or not, it's how people respond to Him. How do we respond to Jesus? Church, may we be a people where the fame of Jesus comes out of everything that we are. 
Church, may we be a people so committed to embracing the Kingdom of God, to embracing freedom, to living the journey, to reaching beyond, that the glory of God can't help but break out amongst us because we are so dependent upon Him and we desperately need Him. And the fame of Jesus breaks out, may it break out to the city, may it break out to the highway, the byways, the homes, the families, the people desperately needing to see a light because a light has dawned. And the light is Jesus. At that time, Jesus came preaching a message, repent for the Kingdom of God is at hand. It's as close as we're willing to take hold of it. And so here's the thing I wanna submit to you as we go on a journey in digging into what it means to be a people engaged with the Kingdom of God. It begins here. How are you responding to Him? Repentance is not a dirty word. Repentance is an invitation to change and transformation. Repentance is hope that God is not done and He is continuing to work in and through His people. And before we move on, before we seal the deal, before we open the altar for prayer, I'd love to ask if you'd be willing to just close your eyes with me. And just before I put this out there, I want you to just take a moment just to breathe and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you in how He's calling you to embrace freedom. Jesus came teaching in the synagogues. He went to the heartbeat of every community to change the heart from the inside out. How is the Spirit of Jesus working in your heart right now so the Kingdom of God can flow from the inside out? Embrace the freedom that He has on offer. Maybe right now you just know that Jesus is inviting you to embrace what it really means to follow Him for yourself. Not follow Him for anybody else, but who He's calling you to be. And to follow Him means that He is calling you and He says, I believe in you so much. Where others may have rejected, I do not reject. Where others may have looked over, I do not look over, I choose you. And I invite you, come and be just like me. Would you just take a minute just to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart about what it means to live the journey. Jesus changed lives, they say, three miles at a time because He walked wherever He went, talking, engaging, challenging, drawing out, bringing transformation, live the journey. And as you live it, you get to be part of the story. The story isn't just happening to you, it's happening out of you. Freely you've received, freely give. The work that He's done in you, He wants to do in others. How are you called to be a support in others in their journey? And then finally, you take that healing and you reach beyond. How is He calling you to reach beyond yourself? To see that the Kingdom of God is so big that it needs to be filled with all those who are yet to encounter Jesus for themselves. And right now in this space, I wanna put out the question, if you're here with us today with all eyes closed, 
just reflecting on the Spirit of God. I wanna put out the request, if you here today have yet to receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, to choose Him as your own King and follow Him, I wanna give you an opportunity to repent and to choose to follow Him for yourself. If you're here right now, recognise even that for whatever reason you've gotten off track and you're going the wrong way, I wanna encourage you in a moment when I ask for a chance to respond, that you would respond and choose to get back on track with Jesus yourself. And it's as simple as choosing to repent. I come to You, Lord, and I lay myself down so that I can pick up all that You are giving me. So right now, if that's you here today, you know you need to choose to follow Jesus for yourself or you need to do an about face can I just ask you to be bold enough just to raise your hand? Our team may be able to bless you with a small gift and encourage you along the way. Go ahead be right now, all across this space. If that's you, be bold. Don't hesitate. If you feel the Spirit of God calling you to make a commitment to respond and say, I'll let you, Jesus, come in and be with me because I'm desperate for more of you. If that's you here right now, I want you to, be bold enough to say, that's me. Raise your hand across this space. I love it. I love it. Can I invite us all to stand to our feet? So we seal the deal. Could I encourage you? Embrace freedom. Could I encourage you? Live the journey. Could I encourage you? Reach beyond. Could I encourage you that the Kingdom of God is at hand, that it matters that you're called to live for so much more, that God is only just beginning what He wants to do in and through you. And I'd love for us all to pray a prayer together as we commit ourselves to the adventure of delving deep into what it means to be part of this thing, the Kingdom of God. Can we declare this together before we seal the deal with worship? Declare this after me. Father God, hallowed be Your Name. Your Kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I give You my life. Transform me into the likeness of Your Son. I embrace freedom. I choose to live the journey. Show me how to reach beyond. In Jesus' Name. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.